We'll read verses uh, 8 through 16, and then we'll start off with a word of prayer. Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today from away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any man, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Father, we thank you that you have the victory. As we look at these early chapters of Genesis and we're reminded of the fall that happened so many years ago in the Garden of Eden, we, we think of our uh, original parents of Adam and Eve and we, we see them as they fail. And as Romans tells us that by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and so death passed upon all men for all have sinned and we know that it was because of that act of disobedience that we are all born with a sin nature. We all have a bent toward wickedness. But we know that, as you promised in chapter 3, that there would be one day the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head. We live today in the reality of that. As we have had the opportunity to accept Christ as our Savior, the one who gave his life for us. And because of that, he obtained the victory over sin and death and hell. Not just for himself, but for us as well. And we thank you for that this morning. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds for your word this morning, that we would be receptive to it, that we would be open to hearing of things that we need to change to become more like your son. And I pray that we would do so. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you've ever been a child, which I assume that's pretty much everybody here, um, I don't know anybody that was just, you know, magically an adult when they came out, um, but everybody's been a child, right? So if you've been a child, you've, you've no doubt um, had a conflict as a child, especially uh, if you have siblings. Uh, I know that we have some conflicts sometimes in, in our house. Uh, between siblings, even if you didn't have siblings, if you were an only child, um, no doubt you had conflicts with other kids. Maybe it was at school or somebody uh, in your neighborhood. Uh, we're familiar with conflict, and we're familiar with, with children having conflict. And um, whether you uh, have had the conflict as a child or even as an adult, if you're here this morning and you're a parent, um, You've kind of seen both ends of this conflict. You've, you've seen the end of, from the child perspective, and you've seen the end from the adult perspective. Maybe you're not a parent, but you've, you know, you've got 
children in your life that you maybe you babysit or you, you're, uh, you're related to. And so you've seen this. If you spend any amount of time with children, um, you're going to see conflict. You're going to see struggle and strife and anger and disobedience and, and all these things. And, and this morning, I, I want to just give you a quick scenario uh, because as we look at this story of Cain, um, we're going to see, we're going to pull some things out of this passage uh, that I think are very applicable to us today, uh, but I want to kind of illustrate it with, with children. So if you've ever dealt with children or if you can remember way back to when you were a child and you had a problem with someone um, or the child had a problem with somebody, sometimes um, it can get a little physical. Am I right? All the parents are shaking their head. Yes. All right. That's, that's happened in my house. I'll admit it. All right. Sometimes the children get a little physical with one another. All of a sudden, you're sitting there on the couch or you're uh, making, cooking dinner or something like that, and, and you hear this blood-curdling scream, right? I'm not going to do it because I got the mic on, right? You hear this massive scream, and you're like, oh, great. What happened now? And so you tread softly back to the, to, to the children's room where they're uh, making the noise, and, and you come in the room and you say, what happened, right? What happened? Of course, probably you're, you're hoping that there's blood because if there's not blood, somebody's getting a whooping, right? Um, so, and, and they know this, but yet they still don't, you know, they still don't get it. So you walk in there and one child is standing over the other child who is huddled on the floor crying in a lot of pain, you know, and, and he's sitting there or she's sitting there and she, and she just, oh man, and you're like, what happened? And the one on the floor says, he hit me, because it's always a him, you know, he hit me and, uh, well, yeah, he hit me. And then what is, what is the, what is the child that's standing over the other child say? Yes, that is correct. I got angry, and hit my sister. Does that ever happen? Ever, 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 ever? No. What does he do? He denies it, right? The first thing he does is says, no, I didn't. Or it was an accident, right? It was an accident. And then you ask the child, and they said, no. He was like, that's not an accident. You don't accidentally go, bam, you know? <laughs> Now, I have seen some crazy accidents among our children who lack self-control and the ability to control them, their bodies. But when you're hauling back and punching somebody, that's not an accident. So you know right away, okay, this is not an accident. So you say, why did you hit your brother or your sister? And then what's the word that comes, what's what comes next? I don't know, or she started it, right? I don't know, that's the, the, the cop out. I don't know, or, well, they started it, right? And we, we come by this honestly, do we not? I mean, we just got through chapter three of Genesis, and what happened when, when uh, Adam and Eve were caught in sin? Well, she started it. <laughs> he started it, right? They, they, they passed the blame along. And, and you go through this process, and you, you're digging out all the information and trying to figure out, okay, who did what? How did this happen? Who needs to be punished, etc. And and at the end, especially with little children, a lot of times, what do we 
tell the older child or the, the the standing child to say? What? Say you're sorry. Right? And of course, the child may or may not even look at the other child, you know, and they mumble something somewhat apologetic, and you can tell they don't mean it. Right? You know they don't mean it. They are just angry still. <laughs> they're angry because of whatever that child did to, to set them off. They're, they're angry because now they got caught because they wouldn't just be quiet about it. Why do you got to scream? No, they're, they're angry because now they've got to do another thing that they don't want to do, which is apologize, and they don't really mean it. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm going to guess that some of you have done that <laughs> as a child. I'm going to guess many of you have observed that as an adult. And a lot of times, you know, we kind of look at that scenario when we, and we look at that child and, and we say, we maybe chuckle a little bit and we say, you know, man, I, ho- I hope they get it. <laughs> I hope they get it at some point because they're just not getting it right now. Whether it be because they just, you know, they're young and they have never accepted Christ as their Savior and so they don't have the Holy Spirit to really convict them other than mom and dad saying, you need to apologize, or whether it's just that they're being stubborn and unrepentant and they don't want to apologize. But our natural bent, which we see as children, is is not one of repentance. It is not one that says, yes, I have have done wrong and I I am sorry about that and I don't want to do that again. That, That rarely happens with children. And unfortunately, as we look 10, 20, 50 years down the line, that rarely happens with adults as well. We are not a very repent, repentive, repentful. I don't know if that's the right word. We're not very, we don't like to repent. Because we don't like to admit that we're wrong. We don't like to admit that we've done something wrong. And this morning, we're going to look at this, this continuing story of Cain, and we're going to see a man who was not repentant. Last week, we looked at the heart of acceptable worship, and um, that was a comparison between Abel and the way that he came to worship God and, 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 and how he went about doing that, and then we co- contrasted that with Cain and the way that he came to worship God, and not only that, but the way that he responded then to God when God confronted him about it after he was rejected. But this morning, we're going to look at four consequences of unrepentance. Four consequences of unrepentance. And this morning, as we we look at this passage and as we think about these consequences, I want to urge you to not just, you know, shovel this off on the children who are sitting in the room, yeah, those kids, man, they need to learn what it looks like to repent, you know. But take this internally and think about your own life and think about perhaps maybe some things that are going on in your personal life. Maybe it's things that, that God doesn't, that God, that, that man doesn't even know about. Maybe it's things that no one here even, even knows that you're struggling with, but it's something that you are not willing to repent of. 
And I want to look this morning at the consequences of unrepentance because as we'll see, it's not just punishment that we see here in this chapter. But there are more things going on with Cain. And as we examine ourselves, and I know as I, as I think back on my life and as I look at times in my life where I have been unrepentant about things that I have done, I can begin to see the process that's unfolding here in Cain's life and my own. And so this morning as you listen, don't just push it off on somebody else. Take the process and look at the process and evaluate your life and say, am I going through the consequences of unrepentance? And if you are this morning, I encourage you to get it taken care of. So we've read through this passage of Genesis chapter 4, verses 8 through 16. You should be familiar probably with the story. But the first consequence that we see here is that an unrepentant heart will lead you into more sin. An unrepentant heart will lead you into more sin. Where do we see that? We know that Cain is angry when we get to the beginning of this passage. We kind of covered this a little bit last week, so I won't spend a whole lot of time on it. But we know that Cain is angry at God for refusing his, his offering. We know that Cain is angry at his brother because uh, his was accepted. Seems unfair, but, <laughs> but he is. He's angry because God didn't, didn't accept him and Abel was accepted. And so he's angry at both of these. And here we see that they are, they are having this conversation, more than likely uh, an argument. I'm sure Cain is either grumbling and complaining or maybe outright attacking his brother verbally as they're out here in the field. And they're, they're out in the field and Cain rises up and kills his brother here in verse 8. When they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And we already discussed this, and this is, you know, we look at this and think, man, this is horrible. You know, I mean, God has already warned him, look, if you're not careful, sin is going to take over and you're going to do worse things. And we start off right away with him doing worse things. Well, worse in our mind, right? He's sinning again. Not only is he sinning by being angry, but now he's sinning by taking his brother's life. And then he compounds that even more with another sin. What was the next sin? He lied, right? God comes to him and he says, what? The Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And what did Cain say? No. <laughs> what happened, Johnny? I don't know. Your sister's sitting here on the floor crying and you're standing over her with a baseball bat. What happened? <laughs> I don't know. She tripped. <laughs> Cain compounds the situation by adding more and more sin. Is that not true with us? I mean, we just gave an example of it that probably all of us have either experienced as a child or as an adult Viewing children. Sin will always beget more sin. And the longer that we live with an unrepentant heart, the more sin we will do. 
Children are a great example of Cain. Thankfully, they're not usually murdering each other. But the attitude is very clear. Children are are very often easy to read. They wear their emotions out on their sleeves. And so they're kind of an easy target for an example this morning as we look at Cain, who, who seems to do the same thing. But he's compounding his sin because he's not willing to repent. He's not willing to admit that he has done something wrong. He's not willing to to confess and say, yes, I was angry. Yes, I rose up and I I struck my brother. And, and, you know, I don't know if this was was, uh, just something that was a a passionate rage or if it was something that he, he decided to do ahead of time. It seems like it may have been, they may have been off in a place that was hidden from other people um, because just the way that some of the wording is there, it kind of lends itself to that idea. But Cain obviously is not willing to admit that he's done anything wrong. I don't know. And he continues by lying. But I hope you you notice I, I intentionally have tried to not say that unrepentance will lead you to greater sin. Because we need to be very careful when we talk about sin. Every sin that we do is an affront to God. Whether it's murder or lying. Every sin is an affront to God. And we, you know, we do have laws. We have to to prosecute people. We have to pass judgment upon people as, as a government. And even the Israelites had varying degrees of, of punishment for different types of sins. But in God's eyes, all sin is sin. All sin equally breaks his commandment. James chapter 2, verses 10 through 11 says, For whoever keeps the whole law, but, in one point has be, but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So in God's eyes, every sin is an abomination. Every sin will keep you from a right relationship with him. And if we go through our life with an attitude, a heart of unrepentance, we will continue to compound the sins that we do. It'll get more and more and more. And Cain gives us that example this morning. He was angry with God and his brother. And then he added to that murder. And then he added to that lying. So the first consequence of an unrepentant heart is that you will be led into more and more sin. The second consequence is that an unrepentant heart will blind you from the truth. An unrepentant heart will blind you from the truth. Right after he lies, he makes another statement. What is that? Am I my brother's keeper? He's like, look, God, I don't know where he is. Am I supposed to be keeping track of him? That seems pretty arrogant. (laughs) But what is he being blinded to? I see two things in this passage that, that his unrepentance is blinding him to. And the first thing is his accountability. Cain is blinded by his unrepentance 
to his accountability for his actions. It started last week, did it not? God tries to tell him, look, if you do not take care of this, if you do not repent and come to me in the right way, sin is crouching at the door. It's waiting to take over and control you, but you need to control it. And Cain ignored it. And now we see him having murdered his brother. And he says to God, am I my brother's keeper? It's as if he, he has no concept of the accountability that he has before God. It's as if he, he thinks that, uh, you know, it's not his fault. And, and maybe, you know, again, we don't know if this was premeditated or if this was just an act of rage. Uh, maybe, maybe it was an act of rage. And, and afterwards, you know, maybe, he, maybe he, did, he did the same old classic thing. Well, it's not my fault. You know, Abel was, you know, trying to tell me something I didn't want to listen to. It was an accident. Right? Maybe that's what was going through Cain's head. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But for whatever reason, Cain, because he was unrepentant, was unable to see his accountability. He was unable to realize that he was accountable for the things that he had done. Not only that, but he was blinded to the remembrance that God knew what he had done. Here he is talking to the creator of the universe. And the creator of the universe comes to him and says, where's your brother? We don't know how long this was, but I assume pretty, pretty quickly after he's actually killed him. So Cain has just gone through this process of killing his brother. Maybe he buried him. I don't know. I, the Bible doesn't really tell us. You know, so maybe there was, maybe there was some time there you know, for him to, to try to cover up his sin. We don't know. But Pretty immediately after this sin, God comes to him and he says, Cain, where's your brother? He says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And not only is he blinded to his own accountability for the things that he has done, he's blinded to the fact that God already knew. God already knew. What does he say? He says in verse 10, And the Lord said, What? Have you done? That should catch your attention, right? What have you done? Parents, have you ever said that? Maybe just like that? <laughs> what did you do? And a lot of times, we know the answer, don't we? <laughs> or we have a pretty good idea of what happened. And God comes to Cain. And I get the feeling as I read this that this is not the same as the other questions that God has given. Up to this point, God has used questions with both Adam and Eve and Cain to provoke a response, to draw them back to Him, to help them see where they have failed. But Cain has reached a point where he has been so unrepentant that he is blinded to the fact not only of his accountability, but the fact that God knows what's going on. And I think God's asking this question kind of the way that parents do sometimes, with a little bit more accusation. What have you done? And then he reminds Cain that he already knows. What does he say? 
the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. That's pretty specific, is it not? said, Cain, what have you done? Because I know that your brother is dead. His blood that has been soaked into the ground is calling to me. That's a pretty vivid picture. You think maybe Cain heard those words from God and thought back to that moment when he struck down his brother? We don't know a whole lot about it other than that he killed him. But I can imagine as, as God describes that to him, the memory that flashes before his eyes. Because he's been blinded from the truth that God already knows. God is well aware when we sin. There's nothing that we can do to hide from God, to run from God. We see many, many examples in Scripture of this fact. We have Jonah. What did Jonah do? What? He ran, right? God told him to do something. He said, Mm-mm, I ain't going to Nineveh. Those are mean people. And so he ran the opposite direction, right? He wanted to get away from where God wanted him to go. Did God know where he was? Yeah. Sent a great storm. And even when he's willing to die and throw himself overboard, God still knew where he was, right? Sent a great fish to swallow him up. God knew where Jonah was. He knew what Jonah had done. We think of um, Achan. Achan, what did Achan do? Anybody remember? After the battle of Jericho, he went in and he took things that he was not supposed to take, things that were supposed to go to the Lord. He took them and where did he put them? Buried them under his tent, right? Nobody will see this. And this, was, this was not like a pup tent, people, right? This was, this was you know, nomadic tents. These things were big. You know, nobody's going to see this. Maybe it was... I don't even, maybe had like the carpets and nobody even saw him doing it. I don't know. But uh, nobody's going to know about this until Israel goes to fight a smaller city and they get wiped. And God says, look, there's sin in the camp. You can't win because there's sin in the camp. And they go through a process of whittling it down. They finally get down to Achan. And Joshua says, what have you done? Sound familiar? What have you done? And Achan confesses. You can't hide your sin from God. David and his sin with Bathsheba. I mean, the links that David went to to hide his sin. Bringing Uriah home to try to trick him. And when that didn't work because he was a righteous man, <laughs> he sent him off to the front lines to have him killed. Yet Nathan comes, tells him a parable, and David's angry until he realizes through Nathan's words, you are the man. You can't hide from God. And that's something that unrepentance will blind us, from, blind us to. See, unrepentance will always make us think that we can get away 
with the next sin. That's why we lie and work to cover up our sin because we're not willing to confess it. And so when we're not willing to repent and confess the things that we've done, we try to hide it and we try to, try to find ways to get around anybody knowing about it. And with all that work and effort, we are blinded to the fact that God knows. He knows. Every action we have done, He knows every thought that we have thought. He knows every idle moment we have spent. He's well aware. Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, is talking to the children of Israel, specifically, uh, I think it's two tribes, I don't remember off the top of my head, who are seeking to, to settle on the, the opposite side of the Jordan from the promised land. And Moses says, You're, you can do that, but when Israel goes to war, you need to come with us. And if you don't come with us, it's going to go badly for you. And, and that's where we find this verse. That it's a very common verse when we talk about sin and we talk about hiding our sin and unrepentance. Numbers 32, 23 says, But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure your sin will find you out. No matter how far you run, no matter how deep you hide, no matter what you do to cover it up, unrepentance will blind you from the truth that God already knows. It'll blind you from the truth of your accountability before Him and the fact that He knows everything that you've done. The third consequence that we see in this passage of is that an unrepentant heart will resist punishment. An unrepentant heart will resist punishment. What do we see here? God says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground and he begins to dole out the punishment on Cain. He says in verse 11, and now you are cursed from the ground. I think that's interesting. Remember when Andy was teaching through chapter 3, he brought out the fact that God cursed the ground, but he didn't curse Adam and Eve. And so the ground is already cursed. It's already hard to, to work the ground. It's, it causes toil and sweat. And now God is saying to Cain, the one that we know is, is the gardener, the one who spends his life working the ground and toiling uh, and working the ground and, 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 and growing the plants, which is what he brought to the Lord in his offering, we know that now God not only has, not only has cursed the ground, but now he's cursing Cain. And the curse is between Cain and the ground. What does he say? Verse 11, he says, uh, You are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Think about that. The ground that he had worked his whole life because of the murder of his brother. It's a vivid image, is it not? Because it had received his brother's blood, he's cursed from it. It's a pretty harsh punishment. 
but it keeps going. Not only will your livelihood be virtually taken away, but when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength, and you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. What in the world is a fugitive? Now, if you're like me, your mind probably flips back to a movie. You know, Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. And uh, Harrison Ford is a fugitive. He's on the run. Tommy Lee Jones is chasing after him. He's the marshal. He's the lawman. And he's trying to get him. Of course, of course, in the movie, Harrison Ford's safe. He, he's, he's good, right? Because he didn't do whatever it is he's accused of. Murder, actually. Um, he didn't actually do it. So, so we cheer for the fugitive because we want him to get away because he's innocent, right? Not so much the case for Cain. All right? Cain has been proven guilty. God has stated, the blood of your brother is crying out from the ground. You are guilty, and this is your punishment, and you will be a fugitive. Who's he a fugitive from? I mean, he makes it clear a little bit later on. He says, look, if somebody finds me, they're going to what? They're going to kill me, right? Who is that? Who is that that's going to kill him? Well, remember where we are in human history. Who is alive right now? You say, we don't know. Correct, we don't know. <laughs> but we know it's Adam and Eve. Abel's just been killed. Cain, we know that Cain is married. There are probably some other daughters and sons maybe at this point in time. But they're all pretty much family, right? Now, I don't know if anybody here um, has a relative that has been murdered. But... I know by reading a lot of news articles that that's not something that people take lightly. We have an innate desire for justice, do we not? Even if it's not somebody that is a relative, even if it's somebody that we just know, and even sometimes it's somebody we don't know. We have an innate desire for justice, for things to be put back right. And, and Cain knew that. And Cain knew Hey, not only do, is this just kind of a normal human reaction that they're going to want justice, but these are my family. These are Abel's family, and they're going to be even more upset by the fact that Abel is dead, by the fact that Cain has killed him. And so this concept of, of Cain being a fugitive, you know, that's, that's not a light thing. That's not just some random word that God threw out there. He's literally a fugitive from his family. Can you imagine that? Being hated so much by your family because of something that you've done that you're scared for your life. He says you'll be a fugitive and a wanderer. Sin, when it's unrepentant, leads to punishment. But unfortunately, we, like Cain, tend to buck our punishment, do we not? Let's look at what he says. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. God, you're being too harsh, says the man who just killed somebody. This isn't fair. Parents ever heard that before? That's not fair. I shouldn't have to do that just because I walloped my sister. 
That's not fair. We do the same thing Cain did, right? He says, my punishment is too great for me. It's more than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. And, and you know, kind of takes it, he takes it as far as he possibly can, right? He, he's, he's thinking things out and, and, he's, and he's thinking about it and he's expanding it and he's saying, this is too much. It's too much. Because he has no desire to repent of what he's done. This is not the response of a man who says, I understand that what I've done requires punishment and I accept it and move on. A repentant person accepts punishment because a repentant person understands their accountability. They understand that God knows what they've done and they're repentant. And so they understand that the things that they have done require punishment, oftentimes severe punishment. There are consequences to our sin. And if we are repentant, we're able to deal with those consequences, even though they may hurt in a much better way. But yet if we are unrepentant like Cain is, when the punishment comes, it's too much. This isn't fair. And we fight back at God and we get even angrier and we continue to sin some more. And we think, God, this is not fair. It's not right. I don't deserve this. Again, because we're blinded to our accountability. Unrepentance will cause us to fight the punishment. He's wallowing in his self-pity. And it's interesting, as he's wallowing in his self-pity, um, he's not just, you know, feeling sorry for himself, but he kind of blames God. Did you catch that? He says, uh, let's see down here, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Verse 14, behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. He doesn't say, my sin has driven me away. He says, you have driven me away. This is not the heart of a man who is seeking to repent. He's not just wallowing in self-pity, but he's blaming God for what's going on now. He's unable to see that his own actions have brought about this punishment. And he wallows in self-pity and blame of someone else. Do we not do that as well? God, why are, you, why are you taking me through this? I said I was sorry. Kids ever done that? I said I was sorry. Did you really mean it? God does not bring punishment into our lives just to make our lives harder. He brings punishment into our lives to correct us. But an unrepentant heart will always see punishment not as something that they deserve for their actions, but as somebody else imposing unfair conditions on their life. Is that how you see hard things in your life? 
Do you see them as God imposing unfair conditions? Maybe it's because you're living in an unrepentant state. Maybe there's something in your life that you are not willing to let go of. Some sin that is between you and God that you're not willing to repent. The fourth consequence is an unrepentant heart will keep you from God. An unrepentant heart will keep you from God. If you notice, Cain mentions as he's blaming God, he's mentioning, you have driven me away from the ground. True. You have driven me away from your face. God never said that. You have made me a fugitive. God said that. And a wanderer. And then he states, you know, these people are going to kill me. And out of all the things that, that he says, God only corrects one thing, does he not? He says, no, no one's going to kill you. I'm going to give you a mark. But he didn't correct him when he said, you've driven me from your face. Sin separates us from God. And the more we are unrepentant, the more sin we do, the more blinded we are, and the further from God we go. It's not God driving us away. It's us driving ourselves away. Because we're not willing to repent. As I think about this truth, I'm reminded of Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. I'll read it very quickly. Paul's writing, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Sound familiar? For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever and ever. Amen. We see at the end of this passage that Cain goes away from the presence of the Lord. He settles in the land of Nod. Obviously, it wasn't known as Nod at the time, but again, Remember that Moses is writing to the children of Israel. They would have had an understanding of where Cain went. And it is clear both in Cain's response and in his action that Cain has gone away from the Lord. And, and I, think, I think Romans 1 is a good explanation of what happened. We never see anything about Cain repenting. As far as we can tell, he lived the rest of his life in an unrepentant state. Next week, we're going to look at 
the progress, or the process that happened in the rest of his family because of it. You know, it's the fifth consequence. <laughs> but when we hold our sin and we're unwilling to repent, it separates us from God. It takes us further and further away from that relationship that we have because of Christ. You may not have murdered anybody like Cain did this morning. You may not have done something that we would consider awful. However, every sin that we do breaks our relationship with God. It's an affront to Him, and if we harbor an unrepentant heart, he will, we will see some or all of these consequences come to pass. More sinful behavior, blinding to the truth, resistance to punishment and correction, and further separation in our relationship with God. And this is a, this is a dire sermon this morning. This is not a happy sermon. This is not a, typically a hopeful passage. But the truth is, there is hope. There is hope. And in fact, there was hope for Cain at the beginning of the passage. There was hope for Cain before he murdered his brother. God gave him the opportunity to repent and to come back into a right relationship with him, but he refused. And there is hope for us this morning as well. If we will simply let go of the sin that we're carrying around, if we will simply repent and give it back to God. 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We often use this passage when we talk about salvation but really, it's talking to believers. John's talking to believers here, and he's saying, he's telling them that how they should be walking as proof that they have been saved. And John is not dumb enough to think that people can live without sin. We're all sinners. We're born sinners because of what Adam did in the Garden of Eden. He says, you're going to sin. If you say that you don't have sin, you're a liar. The question is, are you confessing your sin? Because if you do, there's hope. If you confess your sin, he is faithful. That means every single time he will do it. He's faithful. God is faithful and he is just. He is right to do so. He is faithful and just to forgive us. And not just to forgive us, but to what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cain had that chance. God said, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And Cain chose to live in an unrepentant state. And we see the consequences of that. This morning we have the same choice. We can come to God in a state of repentance. And he says, I'm ready and willing to forgive. Or we can live in a state of unrepentance and suffer the consequences. If you're here this morning 
and you're dealing with something that maybe nobody even knows about. And you're just not willing to let go. Let me encourage you this morning, let go. Repent. Get rid of it. Turn back to God. Because the life of an unrepentant person is not the one that you want. The life of Cain is not the one that you want. Jesus has given us victory over sin and death and hell. And all he asks is that we repent and trust him. Father, we thank you that you are faithful and that you are just. That no matter what we are guilty of this morning, you are willing to forgive us. You love us. And you don't want us to live in this mire of unrepentance. You want us to have a relationship with you that's unhindered by sin. You want us to grow in our knowledge of you and our love for you and our closeness to you. And so often, Lord, we live with even what we call small sins that are unrepented of. And we wonder why our relationship with you is is not what it should be. Lord, I pray this morning that you would grab our hearts, that you would open up our minds, that you would search us as David prayed, that you would search us and that you would know us, that you would open and reveal our hearts to to us as as we're willing to repent of even the things that we may have forgotten. I pray that you would bring them to our memory, that we would repent and that we would be drawn back into a relationship with you so that you would be glorified in the way that we live, so that we would be a shining light to this world, that we would not be like Cain. Lord, I pray that you would be with the A&I time this morning, that you would help us to learn from one another, that you'd help us to grow, and that you would, more importantly, help us to be willing to repent. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.